You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, which was organized by Maurice, the three of us are joined by John Lewis to discuss being a designer and starting your own business. Which is a lot easier than you think it's going to be. That's the main takeaway. Very easy. Not a big deal. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Maurice Cherry, so we're kind of switching it up here a little bit. I'll be leading the discussion for this episode where I'm going to be talking with both Matt and Andy as well as our special guest, John Lewis. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm glad we finally got someone competent in charge of his podcast. Maurice is leading <laughs> things. I feel very comfortable. Yeah, that guy's pretty great. Yeah, we, were talk- right. we were talking about how great Maurice was before he showed up on this call. Oh, so, yeah, uh, really? You, you were your ears burning, Maurice? Oh, boy. Now, you should have recorded that. <laughs> I, I may have some test recordings with uh, with some, some nice things about you, which I can okay. hold hostage. All right. Okay, so we're going to be talking about design entrepreneurship, or, or I guess starting a design business, a design studio. I know designers tend to call what they do for their own sort of self-employment different things, but we're going to just talk about that in general. So I think we've got a pretty good lineup here to discuss that. We've all done a thing like that, I think. Maybe a little bit different than others, but... Everybody's, yeah, I uh, think everybody's designing a business. Different angles and the same or similar thing. I'm, I'm specifically interested to hear from you, Maurice, and also from John, uh, whose, I think, history is a little more maybe interesting than, uh, than Matt and mine. <laughs> Let's start off with John. Hey. Um, where, where do you want to begin? Um, Pretend that uh, people listening have no idea who you are. Oh, okay. Hypothetically. Right. Great. Okay. Let's start with that. Um, so um, I'm, I'm John Lewis. Um, uh, on, on the web, you may know me as Umi Workshop. Um, I, uh, I'm from Hawaii. I, I ran a creative agency, um, back home a couple of years ago, and then I moved to, uh, California to work at startups. Um, so the first design business I ever started was my own little shop. Um, and then I went into startups after that and then founded my own company, which I'm running today. Um, so entrepreneurship and then startups, I mean, there's a lot of overlaps there. Um, but I say that that'd be over the course of, I don't know, let's call it 12 years or so, um, comfortably Mm -hmm. (laughs) without any, making any like weird, like overlaps into places where I wasn't getting paid for designing, which I guess doesn't really count as a business. It's more like charity. (laughs) Right. Sure. And and your current thing is not, you're not running a design studio. No, you're running a business that to the outside world would not necessarily resemble a design related thing. You yourself are a designer. I am the design founder. I'm a co-founder. There are three of us. Um, and my role is strictly running product and designing that product and the lines of products and all of our brand and all of that stuff. Uh, so there's design management that goes into it and a lot of similar things that happen in a design shop, um, which is great because having run my own studio and worked at other startups, I kind of have a lot of, really interesting nuggets to pull um, and then kind of place into my own world and, and use them how I see fit uh, or learn from other people's mistakes, which is also a thing I'm a big fan of. Maurice, what is, uh, I, I know, I know what you do, obviously we've been friends for a while and talked about it, but I do not know 
the real context under which you started your own studio, why you did it. Uh, so, like, what is what is the story behind you and uh, Lunch, which was formerly called Ooh, I'll Remember Media. That's right. Ugh, I would remember. You could have given yeah. me a sec. I would have figured it out. <laughs> uh, what is the what is the exact context behind that? Like, why? So for me, and I guess you know, this is sort of the question that we're we're going to start off with, which is you know, why did you decide to start a design business? So we can we can go into answers, but. Uh, for me, I was always doing design on the side as a hobby. Like when I was in high school, when I was in college, I was always doing it on the side. And then I got my first actual legit design job in 2005 and worked in a couple of different companies between 2005 and 2008. Most of them either government or kind of tech slash fortune 500 type design companies or, or companies that I should say use design. Let me not call them design companies. But uh, I was not fulfilled in that work. It was uh, mainly production-based, a lot of contract type of work, not really fulfilling. Um, and eventually I just got tired of it and ended up leaving and starting my own my own studio because I felt like I could do better. And now I've been doing that for the past, it'll be nine years in oh, November. Man, that's such a great reason because I can do better. <laughs> I love that reason. <laughs> No, seriously, like I really felt that at, at, I mean, I guess I can mention it was AT&T, but I just felt like I could do better. They had taken everything about design and like turned it into the McRib. Like it was just, you know. <laughs> hey, you, the McRib is great though, right? I mean, do you really want to know what's in the McRib or do you just want that congealed sauce covered meat patty oh, at the end of the day? That's kind of what I felt like I was doing with design and just churning out these sort of rib shaped patties of of websites and it just didn't have any kind of heart or soul or feeling or anything behind it. Doesn't sound great. Uh, That reason is interesting to me, right? The reason of I can do better. Uh, Did you at the time feel like there were other companies that were doing better that you maybe could have gotten jobs at? Did you consider that path or did you really feel like, uh, you know, you were the person that had the best opportunity to do the best job in this given circumstance. Like, I, I'm interested in. So, I mean, for context, my backstory is: I went to school, studied design, got out of school, started a design studio, small design studio uh, that does mostly software and, and tech work. Uh, kind of like the most boring story you could possibly have in this particular sector. Um, and you know, when I started the company with a couple co-founders, the reason we started the company back then, which sounds kind of crazy to say now. Uh, in a way, was that we wanted to do design and development work for a variety of companies uh, that would allow us to work closely together and like continue to learn new skills. And at the time, the options of jobs for designers were like, you can either work at a design studio where you probably don't get to do really much related technology aside from branding, uh, or you maybe get to like design some screens that you like throw over some wall to a development studio that you never get to speak to, uh, or you could go become a designer in-house somewhere and work on the same product every day, which I don't mean to slight because I think uh, now I kind of view that differently than I did at the time. At the time, I felt like I didn't want to work on the same problem. I wanted to get exposed to different, indus- different industries, different markets, and kind of understand different kinds of problems. Now I kind of understand more clearly that even at a company that is solving a relatively simple problem, there's all kinds of layer and depth to that. There's a lot to learn there that maybe I took for granted at the time. Um, but that was why we started the company then, and now it's not the case anymore, right? Like now, 
there are lots of design studios that are doing that work that uh, you know do experimental technology things that have developers and designers working under the same roof that are doing the kind of work that you know we strive to do. So that reason is kind of not on the table anymore. So something I've been thinking about lately is like, what is the reason? I mean, to put it plainly, like why continue running our own company at this point? Like we could go get jobs for somebody else, and it's something we've been thinking about. So uh, I'm I'm curious to know other reasons for just why people are doing their own thing. Well, uh, I think um, there's there's this uh, there's a caliber of uh, designers out there that start their own shops um, in the same for the same reason that like a really great chef opens their own restaurant. You know, like uh, interesting. I, I like to think that like you don't. You don't open a restaurant um, as like a prominent chef unless you have something to say. Yeah, you know, um, and I feel like that that can exist in any craft that that passion, and uh, I think running a design shop uh, with that focus is a great reason to start a shop. You know, because then you start to have gravity around the way that you work. Um, you attract the sort of people that you want to work with, and you attract mm-hmm. the clients you want to work for. You know, and and without that gravity, you don't really you kind of have that moment where you're like, oh, we're just running through the motions now. You know, like you kind of lose the passion of, mm-hmm. of what you had when you started. Um, and that's like kind of like you hit a ceiling, you know, and like does that do you break through that ceiling? Do you get a new passion? Do you start exploring different areas of design that you didn't explore before? You know, like you have to ask yourself all these questions, you know, but uh, but for, for like the right team and the, solving the right types of problems and if they're doing it at a world-class level you know they, they never really have to stop um they just kind of have to maybe scale or choose not to i guess <laughs> yeah that's another option I, I always think of it as like uh there's there's the one yeah like feeling feeling like you can do it better like marie said or feeling like you have something unique to say um there's the, I, I i always thought of uh like the way you would treat the people you work with or the way you're like company exists in the world um as a pretty big motivating factor like you can be in charge of not just like the clients you work with and the design work you do but like how you run your own company um which was uh my background is not too dissimilar from andy's except that i worked at uh other places before starting my own studio um or not i didn't even start it i joined friends who did and got control too so <laughs> got to make sure <laughs> got to make some decisions but had some foundation for joining uh-huh yeah and honestly that's the reason that's the probably the biggest reason why we continue doing what we're doing uh here now is that we have a culture we've built we have employees we have an office we have all of the trappings of a business that uh, you know gives you momentum and inertia to right. continue moving forward instead of to stop and change direction and do something else. Um, so it's interesting to me that like over the course of our company's life, the initial seed of why we wanted to start was like genuinely we just wanted to make the kind of job that we wanted and we couldn't find that job anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we had a combination of designers and developers that were founding the company and you know the jobs available to us were just not interesting. They weren't the things we wanted to be doing. And so we tried to make a space for that to happen. Uh, now that kind of job is much more common so that that space is available. If I were graduating today, I would have no excuse to say I have to start my own company because otherwise I'm not going to be able to <laughs> be a designer. that still learns about Ruby and JavaScript. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so now the reason we continue is that we've started, we started something and it becomes a thing unto itself, which is a whole different motivating reason. Right. Businesses are totally just, their own organisms for sure and I, I definitely i do get excited about the things that matt kind of described right like at least theoretically the idea that you get to 
make something real in the world that has real impact, right? Like I've talked to some people before about, you know, what is the like positive <clears throat> impact on the world of like the job you do, right? And some people are really driven to get a job that, you know, they're working for a nonprofit uh, or they're working in some way that is going to like make the world a better place or do some social good. Uh, and I have felt those that, that pull before to like have a job that really has a, a big positive impact. And I've talked to Michelle about how, you know, running the studio that we do today, uh, you know, we don't exactly have that. We, ha- we have some clients that are nonprofits. We get to work for at a discounted rate. We do get to work for some things I believe in. But more or less, most of our clients are just whoever has money to pay us for our services. We give them the services. They give us the money. You know, end of transaction. Um, and that's not the most, like, purposeful, fulfilling thing day to day. But the fact that we get to do that work uh, and provide jobs for people with, you know, good health care and with reasonable hours and reasonable expectations and, like, flexibility... Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, like, I feel like we've had a positive impact on like a few smaller people, like a very focused but much larger positive impact on individuals mm-hmm. uh, than maybe we could have had on the greater world had we set out with the purpose of like ridding the ocean of plastic or whatever our like social good kind of mission would be. Um, so that that is the thing. It definitely is also a motivating factor. The fact that the good you do can be not necessarily directly linked with the work you're doing, uh, if that's a thing that you're motivated by. I want to pull back a little bit here because I do want to go, you know, later into talking about, you know, clients and, and things of that nature. But let, let's go back kind of to getting started. What was the hardest part for all of you about getting started with your business? Paying the bills, <laughs> <laughs> uh, making the money that, that you want, you know, like finding the clients that like you were really that you wanted to work for that would always tell you no. And, you know, they're going to go they're gonna go hire these other people you know like that that's that's hard that's super tough like i started um like i was freelancing on my own uh like while i was working at other places right for a really long time before i quit everything and just did my own shop um and and because of that uh I, I I kind of built all these relationships that didn't they didn't start to bear fruit until i finally quit my job you know, um, and and like that was, that was still not enough. You know, it was just like I quit out of passion <laughs> because <laughs> because like like we were just talking about like the reason why you start is really important. And if you have something pulling you in another direction, then it takes attention away from that that reason. Um, so I decided to to remove the distractions um, and and eat the pain for just a little while because I know it wasn't going to be forever. Um, but but that is that is a really difficult part of, of starting anything any business. It's, yeah. it's scary. Like the, yeah. the, uh, so I mentioned I didn't start it. I joined something small and it was just like, I'm leaving something very stable that seems like it would be around forever. And I'm going to go join a thing that might blow up tomorrow. Is that reasonable and smart or am I an idiot for, <laughs> it's terrifying <laughs> for considering this? Uh, the hardest part for us, um, I mean, we certainly didn't know what we were doing when we started the company. Uh, I've mentioned before that we started the company with no clients, which I only found out after the fact. It's not normal. You're supposed to get a couple clients first and then start the company. <laughs> you mean like we, have a plan? Is that what you're supposed to do? Well, yeah. I found out after the fact that apparently most people like, oh, we have this people that want to hire us. I guess we'll start a company so we can mm-hmm. fulfill this contract. And we were like, no, no, you have to make the company first. And then the contracts magically appear like the field of dreams, uh, which is not, of course, how it went. Um, so we started, uh, you know, really kind of rough and tumble, uh, which uh, not rough and tumble. We started very cheaply, uh, in, in Baltimore, we kind of all rented the same house and all kind of lived in the same space, had no extra room. It was very, you know, intimate and, uh, very 
money efficient, let's say, um, which allowed us to a little more flexibility uh, to, you know, be idiots at the beginning and kind of screw things up and do it wrong uh, until we kind of found our feet under us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that the hardest part for us uh, at the very beginning was definitely finding those first relationships that would then kind of splinter and branch into, uh, you know, other kind of long-term relationships. Um, and one of the things that, depending on the kind of work you're doing, is always uh, this kind of catch-22 is like, if you're doing consulting work, you just aren't getting paid unless you are doing work, but also you need to be finding the next work to be doing when this current thing you're doing ends, and this kind of non-stop, uh, you know, Ouroboros of you have to be working and also finding more work all the time. Oh man, that rat race is not fun. It really isn't. Uh, so, you know, some of the first times that we got clients that, you know, uh, felt like they would be long relationships and have. We've had some clients now for five years. Uh, so, some of those early relationships that we started to kind of build made it seem like, oh, this actually might be sustainable because we can start to build these kind of like pillars and foundational relationships with certain clients and then use the extra time to try and find out, find other things and branch out. Um, but yeah, finding that first work definitely was, uh, was you know, it feels kind of obvious to say it, but though it's worth saying that, yes, the hardest part is finding someone to pay you for the thing that you think you're good at and haven't ever <laughs> demonstrated before <laughs> that you're actually good at necessarily. Just to be clear, has anyone solved the problem of, oh my God, we're so busy, we're going to die? Oh my God! The thing just ended. We're not busy enough. We're gonna die. Has anyone solved that problem yet? Oh, the uh, the feast and famine. Yeah, um, I had that just, solved. Do we just live that? Do we just <laughs> for, live that for, way? <laughs> I had I had it solved for a very short period of time, um, but uh, that that only really happened uh, because I was on my own at that point, point. Um, and so it meant that any any time when I was. Uh, super overwhelmed and busy i would pull in other designers to help me and th- and that's kind of like before i had started a shop you know um mm-hmm. and so like i would collab with other people on projects uh that were overwhelming for me and then when i didn't need them then they would just you know they go off and do their own thing um and then so like everything was kind of fluctuating all the time um whereas when you run a, a shop <laughs> you know um like one, once i opened the doors to like an agency um that problem happened but we we also had like a really broad uh like uh offering of services so like no no one area of the company was ever like suffering more than than to the point where it would sink everything um so like diversifying the team and like the things that you can solve uh it doesn't necessarily need mean like all design services necessarily um it could mean event planning that involves design as like a separate service attached to it and stuff like that but uh just being really, really, uh, I guess, what's the word? Uh, cross-disciplinary can solve that problem, I think, you know, in the right marketplace anyway. You can also just stop running around like your hair is on fire, Matt, and just accept that this is normal and not insane. That's <laughs> the other crazy. option. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, or you could let your business set on fire and, <laughs> and just well, I, I, like, let it This burn. fire is fine, guys. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's part of it is... Um, <clears throat> Like, I think you just have to... First of all, I, I do think finding ongoing sources of income, even if they are relatively smaller than these kind of, you know, brief flash-in-the-pan big contracts that come through and demand a lot of time and attention and they pay a lot for a short period of time, uh, I do think that trying to build up a foundation, whatever your type of business is, we're talking about, you know, general design uh, entrepreneurship here. So this could be, in our case, it's largely doing maintenance on websites we built. So we built this website, but hey, just so you know, Websites mm-hmm. are constantly destroying themselves all the time <laughs> uh, as technology changes and evolves. They're just constantly dying and pieces are breaking and they're missing <clears throat> updates. And so they do require constant attention. Um, so that's kind of the 
way that looks for us, right? And we have ongoing contracts. It is maintenance contracts with our clients to make sure that everything keeps going as expected. And in some cases, we even have a little bit of time set aside to continue improving little things as they come up. Um, but for other people, you know, you could be on retainer with somebody to design certain types of things for them or find a client that has ongoing needs. Um, I've had freelance designers in the city here that, uh, you know, worked for a restaurant that had a custom designed menu every week and would be their, their job every week was to spend an hour typesetting the menu on, you know, Thursday. So if you go to print on Friday and be out for the next week. Oh, that's fun. Um, so, you know, finding clients like that where even if it's small, even if it seems uh, trivial, getting the kind of foundation built up, the ongoing income is one way, I think, to offset that that problem you're describing, Matt, uh, yeah. of feeling like you're always behind even when you are busy working on other things. There's another... I joke um, a little bit, but that's, uh, you know, we have some of that, but it always it always feels that way where you're like, oh, well, we're so busy, we couldn't possibly do anything else, and there's like a day where it changes, and you're like, back in sales mode. How'd this happen? Mm. How'd this happen all over again? I, I will say, I do get that vibe from talking to you about work, Matt, that you always feel... Like, first of all, it seems like you work a lot more than I do, which maybe you're just much. Maybe it's you much harder working, uh, and or maybe you're more dedicated and passionate about what you do, or maybe you just feel that pressure more than I do. Uh, and then the other thing is, you always you always seem like you're very on edge about getting that next that next project. Is that is that something you still really worry about? Yeah, I still do for sure. Uh, maybe it's just like naturally will change because I'm like, well, this has happened again and again and again and again. <laughs> I'll get used to it. Yeah, maybe. There's this uh, really interesting uh, like concept that's starting to pop up with uh, like product design shops where they will uh, they'll engage in, in projects with like you know early stage startups and then take equity in the project in the companies, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that 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 concept uh, is pretty brilliant, um, especially if you're building like great great products and you and you're also setting up those companies to survive without your assistance, you know like. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where you know they're obviously they're going to hire their teams and they're going to they're going to replace all the services that you offer, um, but at some point um, you, you'll you'll receive some dividends from you know taking the risk on that company as a long term client and uh, I think Meta Lab does this um, Bakken yeah. and Beck uh, they have a whole situation with ventures that they do um, and. It, I feel like if I if I ran a studio again, you know, like I would definitely want to explore that that concept um, because I, I would I would be want to be building really great products, um, the yeah. kinds that I wouldn't be able to maintain forever, you know, because like, they would need to scale. Yeah, that I would is love a- to know how that that shakes out. Like I've actually considered that. Like uh, mm-hmm. my company's considered that. We haven't done it yet, um, but I, I I always wonder how that shakes out. Like it's one of those things that sounds really nice, especially for um, some larger product development or design companies but like does that really work for a smaller company or are you just like doing a bunch of free work and then dying you know what i mean because <laughs> well, it's, it's just it's yeah, like how free post, is it but I like guess, what yeah. is uh <laughs> what's actually happening yeah. behind the scenes in 10 we, years later we've tried that a little bit actually um and my experience has been uh well here's, here's been my experience basically so i think if you're going to do that you have to approach it the same way that like an investor approaches investing in startups which is to say that you need to invest in a lot of them <laughs> you can't yeah. you you can't like say oh yeah we're going to have two clients and we're going to take a deep discount on our rate because we're going to take a little bit of share in the equity of this product because they're working in an area where it's understood that 95 percent of them are going to fail but the five percent succeed are going to exceed well beyond anyone's imagination and make back you know enough money that it's okay that 95 percent of the other investments didn't pay off right um so you need to i think be of a certain scale to be able to absorb that risk uh, and really diversify that portfolio of products that you have some kind of share in. The other thing that came up for us whenever we've discussed this in the past and or experimented with it is that 
uh, you know, there's a, there's a line, right, uh, when you're doing design and development services between, you know, what's kind of your responsibility and what's the responsibility of your client. And when you're starting to take a share in <laughs> their success, that line gets blurrier because all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, what are your credentials to be the CEO of this company? And how are, <laughs> how are you going to run sales? And uh, what's your plan for these other things that normally you have no say in as a designer and developer? All of a sudden you're like, well, wait, wait, I'm going to be like putting my investment in this and I'm going to like believe in this thing enough that I, you know, I'm going to basically pay effective money into it. I'm going to take less payment on my work to kind of like hope in the success of this. Then you have to ask a whole bunch of questions, which uh, the times we've tried to go down that road oftentimes lead to like that idea kind of getting taken off the table. Like we're like, Uh Hey, what about these things? And can we get access to the financials? And can you tell us how you're funded? And Oh no, no, that's okay. Let's just, we'll pay you for this. We don't want, we don't want to take a discount for this. Oh, that's a shame. So I, that's that's why I think like the, it sounds like a great idea for bigger companies, but if you're a small company that like maybe you can only be developing two to three products at a time, like if you're if one of those is uh, not paying for the long term, and hey, who knows, maybe they'll die and never pay. Um, that's a pretty pretty high risk if you're employing people. But I agree with John in that I love it, you know, theoretically because I love the idea of like formally aligning your motivations right. and your clients' motivations, right? Yeah, uh, like you are invested in their success, so uh, that's like your motivations are no longer just to like bill as many hours and make the client happy, which frankly is your normal motivation as set up by the normal consulting system. Uh, your motivation is now to invest in the success of this thing, even if it means working more hours than you said you'd work, or if it means, you know, pushing back on something and making the client unhappy because you're, you're going to advocate for the end user instead of their happiness. Uh, so I, I like all of that. I think that uh, it's, in our experience, at least for us, it's been more complicated than that. We haven't been able to pull it off. We are actually experimenting a little bit with it. So maybe I'll report back later, but, <laughs> but, uh, it's it's I think uh, it's it's nice. Yeah, it's in, definitely in like a work in progress kind of concept. Not a lot of people are doing it right now, but it's really interesting. Yeah, and the ones I've heard about obviously have been the really successful ones, where it's like, oh, we took a five percent share in this thing to design it, and then they made a billion dollars, and now everything's great, and we're perfect. Here's a blog post. <laughs> uh, I, you don't get the blog post of the people that you know tried that and uh, kind of got screwed. Oh, those from are it. the blog posts I want. I want the, <laughs> fail, I want the fail blog. Oh, man. You love that that dirty fail well, actually, those, stuff. It's really those important. blog posts do exist, but it's always just like, uh, and now we're having a new journey where we got bought by so and so. Yeah, it sounds really positive, but actually everything's yeah. for an undisclosed amount. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people don't give you the claps on Medium for writing your post about how your idea failed. Nope. Yep. <laughs> Let me jump in here because what I'm hearing, you know, throughout the conversation is, you know, certainly it seems like the three of you are are really knowledgeable about these different parts of of working with your yeah. business and how you. Well, I'm, I'm getting to the question. How did you kind of learn what you needed to be a legitimate business? Because I think, you know, sometimes we'll, designers will just kind of start up and do freelance stuff. But then there's all this question about contracts and invoices. And, you know, you can it can kind of easily get um, a bit complicated when all you really just want to do is design work. How did you learn the business side of design? You get burned a couple times, mm. and then you, then you realize you have to pick it up. Oh, we have to send invoices? Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize. Uh, Maurice, ha- Maurice you should answer this question, really. too, because your job is not just to moderate here. I want to make sure that we're hearing from your, you. You've been doing this for longer than Matt and I in probably yeah, similar amount of time as John, so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. You answer that question first, please. Yeah, get that paper. <laughs> um, ooh. <laughs> I, I don't mm. know if this is going to, like, put my business in a bad light, but... um. I tend to be very mean with business. <laughs> okay. Um, if if I'm doing a service for you, especially if we went through the whole thing of of contracts and invoices, et cetera, 
Um, I expect you to uphold your part of the bargain as the client. Um, I'm going to uphold my part as the vendor, as the designer. I'm going to do what I need to do. But if I feel like that the client is not coming through on their end, I will be quick to, you know, let the client know or in the project or something like that, because I feel like it's a it's a partnership. If you just wanted a set of hands to to work on whatever this is that you needed done, you could have went to, you know, a marketplace or something and hired someone half a world away that would do it for pennies on the dollar. And if that's what you need, that's what you need. That's great. Uh, as far as how I learned it, I mean, did I get burned a few times? I think early on I did. Early on I got burned. I was doing some work for this guy. He was a he was a love coach slash actor and needed, wait, you know, wait, 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 wait. Is love <laughs> coach story. is love coach in air quotes? No, no, it was like that was his actual thing. He was like a, a love coach. And no, actors, I get that it was an actual like thing, but I just, say that like we love know what coach, that means. Yeah, love coach, like how to go on a date and oh, like, yeah, be like a caring how to go partner. On a, how to go on or a love date, coach, how to, like how to be seven new positions to, to spice sustain. up the bedroom. Yeah, like that whole thing. That whole like, area. Like that think, Black think, Mirror episode? Think like millionaire matchmaker, but on a very slower tax bracket kind of thing. $100 matchmaker. Pretty much, yeah. So... They call me I, Benjamin. I, I did some early work for for this. Is like when I first started up my studio, just doing some early work, and the work went well. But then they decided they wanted to go in and kind of poke around and change a few things, and then ended up deleting the whole website and came to me and asked me to kind of put everything back. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can do it for this much money. And they're like, what do you mean? I already paid you for it. Yada yada yada. And I kind of had to explain to them like, this isn't just you know, this isn't like. Uh, it's not like you lost a piece of software and I can just give you the exact same copy back. I mean, it had been, I think, maybe a few months after we had even ended the project and he had went in and Mm -hmm. did something and deleted it. And I mean, it was to the point where I was sending invoices and they were like, I'm not going to pay the invoices. And so I hired a collections agency and I got my money back. And that was really, honestly, in in the almost nine years that I've done this, that has been the first time I've had to go that drastic with... It's a pro move. With getting my money back. And the thing was, it wasn't even a lot of money, but it was more about, for me, establishing my dominance. To say, (laughs) yeah, man. I mean, you really, you gotta, you gotta. You you see what I mean about how it sounds mean? Like, like I I had to say, I had to say, you know, I I understand kind of what you're talking about. I'm so glad to have that sound bite now. I can do whatever I want with that sound bite. But you, you, you signed the contract. This is what we, this is what we agreed to. And now you're trying to. I mean, it wasn't even a lot of money. It was like less than $200, you know, but it was more for me about the principle and establishing this early on in my studio. Like, look, this is what this is how it works. This is how we handle the language. You do not cross Maurice Cherry. Don't even try. I beat on this tree. I I showed you. (laughs) But I mean, in terms of like learning about invoices and contracts and things like that, some of that just came through trial and error, like, you know, kind of like Matt was saying, you you figure out what works for you. I think with any business, hopefully, hopefully your processes evolve and change with time as you change as a designer, as an entrepreneur, as your business changes. Hopefully all of that stuff changes as well. You decide, oh, I need to add this to my document or I need to add this to my contract. Because sometimes things will happen and you realize, oh, I didn't plan for X contingency. But now I know for the next time that that's what I need to do. Um, in my early days with my contract, I think I probably started out like a lot of designers or design entrepreneurs might with just like a standard template that you get from AIGA or something like that and you try to work it to your will um, I quickly kind of thought that that probably wasn't the best thing because I'm not a lawyer 
So I found a lawyer and I bartered my services for, I said, if you could look over my contract and help me figure out, you know, X, Y, Z things I need to do, I'll do some design work for your firm. Got that hustle. And we, <laughs> hustler. And, and we worked that out. And so now I've got my, my contract. And I mean, we still kind of, you know, sort of barter things back and forth here and there. But now I've gotten comfortable with adding certain things to my contract that I know will still kind of be legally upheld. And I mean, it's been very rare that I've had to go, you know, the nuclear option like I did with that particular client. Nine times out of 10, I figure if you've read the proposal, if you've read the contract that you've signed it, you should know what you're getting into. It, that, that touches on a thing, which is that for me, one of the most important things for me in my like overall big picture career path is that I want to keep learning things. I, I really don't want to stagnate. If I find myself doing the same kind of work, the same kind of way, you know, for a couple years in a row, I feel like that's going to be a sign that I need to like change something up and move around. And starting my own company has offered me the opportunity to do all kinds of learning in all kinds of areas, which I never thought I would, <laughs> I would need to learn anything in or never uh, expected would be a skill I would pick up. Uh, one of those skills is like collections, right? Like uh, we went, you know, four, four and a half years without anybody uh, refusing to pay an invoice for any reason. Uh, which I'm proud of because I think generally indicates that our communications were clear to our clients and they understood what the deal was and that we did good work and no one wanted to contest that. And then at the four and a half year mark, people just stopped paying all of a sudden. And my job became mostly collections man. Uh, that, that was my role at the company because I'm, I'm the meanest of all the people here by a wide margin. So uh, <laughs> I had to be the one to kind of put on that, that hat and learn what it's like to go down that road and research collection agencies. Decide if you want to hire one. Eventually decide not to. Decide to be the collection agency yourself and kind of you know explore all those different routes. And uh, yeah, that's like a whole thing I got to learn about that, uh, you know, I wouldn't have sat down uh, at my exit interview from college and been like, "I hope in the next six years I get to learn about <laughs> I get to learn about how to really twist someone's arm and get them to give you that money they probably owed you." Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a skill I picked up uh, either way. So that's one of the things that happens when you start your own company. You learn things you didn't expect to learn, for better or worse. Man, that is. <laughs> You guys are mean. <laughs> you ever had to break any thumbs, John? <laughs> no, I mean, like, so, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I like to think I'm a pretty peaceful person. Uh, I, I, I'm not, um. How do you establish your dominance? I, see, I have, <laughs> I have some weird, um, cosmic forces that I, that I employ. <laughs> um, but, like, really, really early on, like, I got burned a lot. And, and, and it's not just because, um, I was inexperienced, um, but also it's because at the same time I was doing a lot of work for free, um, and transitioning into like, you know, I'm going to start like asking for money for these. I mean, because like basically you say yes to everything when you, uh, when you, when you're, when mm-hmm. you're building something from scratch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things like you're like, I absolutely need to be paid for this. And some things you're like, well, this is a really interesting, cool project and it will fit really well into what I'm trying to, uh, you know, display myself as. So I will do this for, you know, next to nothing or whatever. Um, but, uh, but along with that, the, the longer you do that, the more comfortable comfortable you become, uh, like having like a passive, uh, like business, you know, where like nothing yeah. is really growing. You're just doing a lot of work for a lot of different people, and you're also getting a ton of like terrible referrals. Nothing's going up, yeah. um, and and uh, so over the years, um, I mean, and that was really really early before you know I had any notable work 
to attract actual like any real good business um but the more uh, the more good work i did and the more visible i became and the more i was competing with like larger agencies the more i was able to work myself into those circles and and learn by osmosis through the people that work in in much more efficiently oiled machines than the, what i was running um and and through that i was able to learn how to negotiate more favorable terms for like my projects uh estimate you know sort of like what it's going to take to get this done a little bit better um because you know like like most designers um that start their own studios you know like you you kind of do it because you're a dreamer you know not because you're like a hardcore business person you know like if you wanted to make a sh- shit yeah. ton of money like you probably don't want to open a design shop like you no. <laughs> there's other <laughs> industries where you can make a lot of money a lot faster Just with less mine work. some bitcoin or whatever uh yeah and especially like if you're a mean person you can make a ton of money like real fast <laughs> oh, you know? you're describing a business person yes i understand yeah. <laughs> right yeah i didn't start as a business person you know um it, it i had to grow calluses and 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 like become you know a a slightly different uh like person in certain rooms um so like there's this chameleon that i have to turn into Mm. uh sometimes Mm. and it doesn't necessarily mean uh being mean but it definitely definitely has some some dominant traits attached to it that i think people are a little bit they know about it now (laughs) you know as opposed to uh like a while ago where i was just like yeah yeah go talk to umi he'll uh he'll hook this up for you like over the weekend because that dude does not sleep and he will just and he'll make it happen and it'll be the best thing you've ever seen and like don't tell him i told you this but he's not going to charge you that much you know Mm. and like i had an entire body of work built on that kind of word of mouth you know and and it was like all happening behind my back which was weird you know because yeah you like to think your referrals are looking out for you but you know what are you gonna do the the internet is a very strange place that is a i think it's a lesson that i feel like if you google like tips for entrepreneurs or whatever especially in the consulting world you'll you'll find this a lot and i found it to be so so true which is that like the first couple like big projects you get are so influential in shaping the future work you're going to get not just because that's what you've demonstrated you can do but also because it's literally what you've learned to do you are actually better at doing that now and a little less good at doing everything else um we uh we took one project uh three and a half years ago that we talked about, it was a little bit different than what we normally would want to do. And the difference was that, uh, you know, we're a design and development studio, and we think that the strength in our work is from the fact that all of our designers understand technology intimately, all of our developers understand design and care about user experience and understand why decisions are being made. And it all happens under the same roof, which means that uh, we can save a bunch of time without having to, like, you know, elucidate every single design decision very <laughs> clearly and, you know, make perfect pixel perfect screens of every single view and mock them up with notes to make sure it gets built perfectly we can communicate much more efficiently and just kind of like doing it all in one spot is much easier Um, we had interesting opportunity three and a half years ago to take a project that was already designed we're just being handed a bunch of you know design flats uh, and just need to get built and for technical reasons uh the developers here were like we want to do this project because it's an interesting opportunity to learn some new technology uh we know it's not like an ideal project for us and it probably won't be the thing we're most proud of but it seems like it'd be you know a good challenge and a good way to learn. We did that project, and we get <laughs> referrals every two weeks from this same project that want us to do exactly the same thing. Here's more uh, flat images. Can you please build <laughs> this thing? And we're like, no. We took one project yeah. that wasn't totally in line with our philosophy, and Implement now it's been, this. it's been chasing us ever since. Uh, again, for better or worse, because it's nice to have more more contacts, right? More contacts is better. But, uh, I was yeah. going to say, is that, is that always a bad thing, or sometimes you like... It's a slow month. This would be great. I'm really happy we have this. Um, I love that that's one of I your big concerns, Matt. <laughs> Just like Matt's, these, Matt's these slow a, months, Matt is very man. concerned. He's a very concerned boy. 
You know, I don't know. I have to think about it. I don't think any of the projects that directly came as referrals to this particular project I'm mentioning ever end up working out. Um, yeah. Not just it wasn't just us, you know, uh, philosophically, you know, turning away projects that weren't going to let us design them. Uh, it was also other reasons that things didn't work out. But uh, but yeah, uh, that that uh, that effect has been so strong. Where it's just like, man, this one thing we did just happens to have had a pretty far reach, and we didn't happen to have the exact role we wanted in that project, and now we get that kind of work dumped on us a lot yeah uh, and we have to like fight uphill in every single conversation like, like no 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 projects. but we are also very good at this and this is how we do our best work and this is why we do our best work that way and why we have these kind of things in place uh and so yeah it, it's been interesting to kind of like feel that and how intense that is when you have a project that you know maybe it's not exactly what you wanted to do uh, guess what it's what you do <laughs> if you did it it's what you do now it doesn't matter yeah. that it's not what you really wanted to do and wasn't perfect why well, I, I just kind of wonder about things like that like um like, what if you could do a couple of those and then do whatever you want because that made way more money than the the other thing you were looking at, right? Maybe, like, a more ideal situation, but it pays less. What if instead you did, like, two days of the less ideal work and then three days of whatever you wanted to do? Is that a better situation? You Matt, I mean? you don't seem like the kind of guy that would turn away work because you wanted to spend some free time doing whatever you wanted to do uh, <laughs> in those extra days. I feel like you'd be like, hey, we got more work. We should fill up these other days with work. That may be true. Hard to say. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's the thing is I think that uh, it's just it's so easy to say that and it's so much harder to do it uh, yeah. and like yes in theory you could you know run a very profitable business where you spent 60% of your time paying all the bills paying all the salaries uh, and giving yourself a little bit of cushion and the other 40% of the time you could do whatever you wanted but in reality you are just going to do more of that work and make more money because that's what the like inertia is going to pull you towards that's, that's, where, that's what the gravity is the gravity is well, do more of the same work well, kind of. I guess uh, uh, I'm, like, making myself a caricature a little bit. But to step out of that, I uh, we do, like, make Fridays not work days, like, specifically to do internal product or, like, learn stuff. Um, so like, you I mean to tell me have, tomorrow you, you are rules. not going to work on any client projects? Be honest. Uh, tomorrow, yes, I will. You're correct. Okay. But, That's what but I, thought. I think if you I think if you make some rules you can start to head in that direction. Like if you're just like, This is the rule, we don't do this. We work on internal things. Um like I think if you set some boundaries you can start to do it. Not that it happens all the time. Yeah, uh, I just think it's harder than people think. I mean we 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 we've done the same thing in the past. Um we when we started the company we did a lot of internal projects and yeah. we don't nowadays for a variety of reasons, which could be a whole nother kind of uh tangent if we wanted to go on it. Um but we definitely found it like it's just it's way harder than we thought it would be. I'll, I'll put it there. It's way harder than we thought it would be to actually, you know, make time for that when you are willing to give up uh, things on your other contracts because it's just it's so easy for that to just become what you do and then you just kind of fall into that thing of well that's more good money more good money more good money and then you look back three years later and oh look we only do this now <laughs> when did that happen we haven't done a project that are like the projects we want to do in forever we only do these other projects yeah uh, which again. Depending on your motivations, if your motivation is like, I want to run a business, I'm a business person, uh, then that's what you should be doing, right? You should probably be following that lead and trying to find <laughs> those, uh, find the money where it is and kind of grow the business however you can. But if you're starting the business for like a, a purposeful reason, if you have a, a, you're driven to do something, you have a goal in mind, uh, I don't think the correct way to do it is to like sacrifice your vision uh, in the hopes that this bunch of money you're going to make right now is going to allow you to execute that vision tenfold in that extra time you have uh, because I think the reality is just that 
you're just going to keep sacrificing that vision and then your new job will be whatever ends up happening. Right. I agree. I think that, that having a philosophy about what your business is can set you apart from other, from your competition, you know, and, and if, if you stick really closely to that philosophy and you communicate it really well, then anybody that refers people to you also knows about that philosophy, you know, and they're Mm going to spread that word. Um, like, and, and, but but none of that is worth anything if you don't have the luxury of saying no. You yeah. know, like if you have to say yes to, to certain projects, then you're just you have to compromise. You know, and like that's that's unfortunate. Um, but but when you when you do have those stints of time where you get to work on like things that actually that you really care about, I, I feel like it's super fulfilling. It reminds you like why you started in the first place. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna give a little bit of a, of a contrarian uh, slant to this because what I'm <clears throat> What I'm hearing from everyone certainly is that, of course, that philosophy and that passion and even, you know, past projects and things that you've done can kind of set and dictate the tone of the type of work that you end up bringing in. But what I'm not hearing a lot of and, and you know, I might be wrong here is sort of active marketing. Um, what you kind of all are mentioning are somewhat passive things like people will look at the work that you've done or someone will refer, you know, you some will refer themselves to you or something like that. Are any of you doing any kind of active marketing to the types of work that you would like to get? We've tried to do that more and more recently. Like, <clears throat> I mean, it's not it's not hugely complex, but it's just like, hey, we're going to create a landing page on our site that like talks about the specific language we want to write. Um, or, I mean, here very specifically, like we've recently decided, like as a company, we want to make sure everyone is learning Elixir. And we want to take on projects in Elixir because it's interesting. Uh, it's it would be it would be a dream if that was like if we were always working in that language and in the Phoenix framework. Um, so like, how do we do that? We need to put that out in the world and like go find those people. So we've been like sending the dev team to conferences, trying to put the landing pages on the website, like trying to see if clients would be open to using that on their project. Um, I don't know if I have a huge success story yet. Like it's a pretty new initiative, but. Um, we've been thinking about that and trying to figure out ways to do that. Cause I think we want to, we want to figure out ways to do that and figure out ways to like get into maybe new spaces that we uh, are not currently in. Like what, who designs VR projects? What is that going to be like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're in the midst of trying to figure stuff out like that. Like how, how do we market that as a service? How about you, Andy? I, if you have any ideas for how to actively market Maurice, <laughs> I would love to hear them. Uh, we, here's what we found. Uh, and it, I will say that, like, we have talked about this in the abstract a number of times, and any time it gets any less than completely abstract, we immediately have no idea what to do or what makes any sense. <laughs> uh, you know, our clients are uh, coming from a wide variety of backgrounds. Uh, we don't work in a specific industry. We kind of work all over the place, different for-profit businesses, nonprofits, cultural institutions, uh, schools and colleges, all kinds of stuff, just individuals that have ideas that want to pay someone to build them. Um, so we're kind of all over the place there. And importantly, like we don't take on that many projects. We have like fewer high-value contracts. I would say in a given year, we probably have... Uh, maybe like 12 to 18 contracts total. Uh, so we're not taking on like a huge volume of work. So it's not like uh, we're trying to get, you know, 50 new clients next year. We're just really trying to find like the 12 that are like really good fits and are going to be projects that are like meaningful and allow us to do our best work. And, uh, you know, the the best we've tried is kind of what Matt described, right? Let's just write on our website what we want to do and maybe that'll work. And our experience is just that that does not work. That does not count as active marketing. You just, you know, you just made a flyer and stuck it to a signpost. Uh, but the signpost is 
in, on the internet and there's a million signposts on the internet and no one's going to see that or care about it. <laughs> um, the one thing I think that helps with is like you had a meeting with somebody, you got to talk about this and then they get to see the things you talked about reflected on their website. If they, on your website, if they go to look at it for like confirmation, I think that's helpful there. But like, I don't think anybody's ever Googled like Baltimore design development studio mm. and like found friends of the web, not only because I'm sure we're nowhere near the top results for that, but also because I can't imagine the kind of client that would be Googling that and would also be the kind of partner we'd want. Uh, And so like my inability to really correctly identify who our partners and future partners are going to be uh, and then know how to reach them effectively has led to literally zero active marketing. Uh, We just don't do anything because I'm not sure what we would do. And in that sense, I guess we've been very like privileged that we've been able to survive for six years without having to ever take out an advertisement or, uh, you know, really try to market ourselves. It's just been word of mouth to people that have worked with us and, you know, had a good experience. Um, very, very early on, all we did was we literally went to tech events and just said like, hi, we're a new company. You want to do a website or something? And some people just took us up on it because they were like, that seems cheap. They don't, <laughs> they seem, they seem new. I bet it's not very expensive. And, uh, we did a good job and it kind of like snowballed from there. So, um, so yeah, I don't know how to do that is the answer. And, uh, when I think about it, it makes me feel like a, a bit of a fraud because, you know, we just don't do that. And I understand it's a huge part of other businesses, but we just, it's never been an aspect of what we do. And uh, I guess we should probably get better at it. How about you, John? I mean, you're, oh, you're kind of doing something a little different because it's, it's more product-based than service-based, right? Oh, well, today, yeah. I mean, the startup <laughs> I run, that we don't, <laughs> we're not a consumer organization. Um, and if, I mean, we work specifically in like, creating transparency and campaign finance so like anybody that we work with is either the government or a political party or a super PAC or something like that you're not, not putting that on craigslist for that no no so there's you know, no at least know you're, you know exactly who you're talking to well yeah and they're all in one place you know they're all yeah. literally in the same city um and i had to move to that city in order to actively market <laughs> i mean that was the <laughs> that was to the go yell at them yeah i mean they're all there so um and they're all next door to each other but um in terms of like uh like me personally since i'm not running a, a, a agency anymore like uh like as a because i I do work on the side all the time um and some of the the work i enjoy the most is with people that i worked with you know five six years ago you know they still have their businesses and they still have design services they need fulfilled and they and we still enjoy working with each other so so that that stream exists but um when when i'm talking about looking for like something new and fresh um it almost all depends on uh you know like what the season is you know because uh like i i enjoy designing products um but i am not in a position to dedicate you know 70 percent of my time to doing that right mm-hmm. so yeah. like i i can only really work with certain types of teams there has to be like a lot of chemistry um to begin with and and those are like they're they're soft qualities but um, but the word travels fast in certain circles, you know. So, for example, um, having worked on uh, a project called Elevate um, a few years ago, um, after that app launched, it won App of the Year. And then I had a ton of referrals from people I had never heard of before. They were right. just like, oh, my God. Um can you do this for me? Make me app of the year, you know, as if I'm going <laughs> to yeah. make that. That's that not, is such a perfect example right. of what Clarence do. Well, <laughs> but, but the thing is, the, the, but the, the, the difference, the difference here is that, is that it was a project that, that had, um, a ton of, uh, I did, I worked on it with a lot of other people, all of whom are incredibly talented and 
and also uh the product is is something that like i'm not only proud of but it's something that that if i could make five or six other things like that i'd be really happy so Mm -hmm. if you happen to be approaching me and that's the thing that you're approaching me because of then you know we're gonna talk because we're talking about education we're talking about animation we're talking about geometry we're talking about really clean typography we're talking about great interaction design it's in line with all your values everything yeah yeah it's perfect you know a perfect kind of source of a referral but um, but they don't want that. They just want to be app of the year, John. Oh no, no, you're no, app no, no. of the year designer. No, those are the people that, that that I just you know I say thank you. I appreciate <laughs> the the kind words. You know, um, here's who you should go talk to. Um, I can't build your app from scratch. I you would like my me. app that sells people kale salads delivered <laughs> by drones to be app of the year. Yeah, Please help. Definitely not ever going to work <laughs> on that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but like the active marketing that that I I would have to do if if I wasn't if I need, if I wanted some work tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I would talk to a guy like you. You know, hello. I would, I would, or I would, or I would talk to some people uh, that I used to work with, and I would just, you know, because everybody that that I know is is either they're either working on something really interesting and they need help, or they know people that need help and they've been saying no to them. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and because of that, uh, and, and as long as the as long as it's in the same caliber of talent and the same values, you know, you're traveling in the right pool. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and that's a great pool for me to pick work from uh, if I absolutely need it. You know, um, and because I'm not in a situation to to like really go into that, uh, like it doesn't go much further. But if yeah. I were to open a shop tomorrow, you know, and and I needed and I needed work tomorrow, and I needed to support like three employees, you know, like I would have to make a lot of phone calls. That's that would be my active marketing. It wouldn't be yeah exactly like writing blog posts. It wouldn't be tweeting about cryptocurrency because I want to work on cryptocurrency. Like I would be making phone calls to people at Coinbase, and I would be talking to people at you know. Uh, buzzfeed because i want to work on like motion graphics or something like that you know just wh- wherever the the thing is that 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 you want to work on it doesn't hurt to just reach out and ask people if there's an opportunity um, yeah. because you, uh, the, sometimes there is do you ever find that to be painful like i think i, I think the uh the like that the thing i said earlier the sense of like oh we don't have anything what are we going to do probably comes from like most of our best work has come through referral and someone reached out to us and we didn't reach out to them uh so it's kind of it feels very out of your control like whatever comes next mm. uh, i don't feel like i've ever gotten good at just like picking up the phone and being like hey we're not busy what can we do for you <laughs> is that a thing you're comfortable with uh no i am not comfortable with that at all we um, actually got one of our uh, <laughs> one of my favorite projects we've ever done that way uh really? just yeah uh well i guess it was not exactly that it was you know somebody who had never heard of us no idea who we were it was like I'm trying to build this thing. Uh, I wonder if anyone out there can help me. And I just sent him a cold email. I was like, hello, it is us, the people who will help you with this. And uh, this particular person was like a person I had admired for a long time. Uh, I'd been a hero, kind of a hero of mine. And so getting that project was very exciting. And it was just like, yeah, writing that cold email is the thing that uh, I've done it quite a bit. So I guess maybe that's the active marketing um, that we do. I do kind of do that kind of cold email thing every once in a while. <laughs> Hi, you don't know me, but give me your money, please. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, and here's what I'll say. Uh, you know, thinking about this further, this and this may just be more personal to me and less abstract about Friends of the Web, but uh, I think this direct marketing thing is just like a big blind spot for me. And like another example is just like this very podcast, right? Like I have no clue how to get more people to be aware this podcast exists. I'm very proud of it, more proud of it than the other podcasts we've made in the past that had more listeners. Uh, we have been putting out the show regularly for almost a year now, uh, and we've had basically the same listenership since the show launched, uh, with very little kind of growth there. And it's a decent listenership. It's fine. I'm very happy. I'm glad you're all listening. I love you all very much. I'm not trying to, <laughs> to go find more people. But 
you know, the reason we make this is because we want people to hear it. Like, we're proud of it. And I, you know, I genuinely don't know what to do. I tried the thing I did in college, which was just I emailed all the design blogs and said, like, will you please write about this? And just, like, heard back from nobody. Uh, and I just, I'm kind of at a loss. Like, I don't know what else to do other than just rely on people that know the thing to tell other people, uh, which, <laughs> which gets at this, like, fallacy, which I definitely held to be true when I was younger, which was that if you made a great thing, uh, then a truly great thing, then it would become popular because the, mm. we have the internet. Everyone is connected infinitely in all directions. So if you make something great, it will just naturally travel to the ends of the world, uh, which is truly how I felt. Uh, I was also, let's say, you know, eight years ago, I was like, if you made something great, of course it'll become popular. And now I have seen so clearly through so many uh, very direct examples that <laughs> that is so far from the truth. The popularity of something is like almost completely disconnected from like, how great it might be and how people respond to it. Uh, you can pour enough marketing dollars into something to make the world's most boring, crappy thing, uh, you know, a worldwide trending sensation. And you can have something amazing and wonderful that nobody knows about and just doesn't. Yeah, exactly. It just evaporates into, yeah. into thin air. Uh, so I know, I know in my brain that I, we can't just make a good podcast and then rely on everyone telling their friends and it's spreading naturally and kind of organically, but I don't know what else to do. Facebook <laughs> ads, t- t- promoted tweets, like these seem like insane ideas to me, but maybe well, they're not. I, I feel like marketing content at, and is super different from marketing a, uh, like a service. Probably. I'm uh, clumping the two together because uh, those are the two things I'm doing right now, and I want them both to do better. <laughs> and they both have the same challenge, I guess, yeah. It, it's, it's definitely different, for sure. I mean, the difference is, like, I'm trying to convince uh, thousands of people to, like, listen to our show for an hour mm-hmm. versus I'm trying to convince one person to give us thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. Uh, it's like a it's a matter of, like, quantity versus, you know, quantity. Or quantity versus... It's quantity in different dimensions. Right. I don't know the words to describe that thing, but you all know what I'm saying. We get it. So, Ugh, I don't know. I'm bad at that, Maurice. Maurice, you seem much better at that to me. Um, so <laughs> please, please give me and everyone else all of your great hot tips. All right, take us to school. Top oh, tips. <laughs> Establish your dominance. Tell us what's up. I, you know, this is the thing that I have struggled with with my studio since the very beginning is uh, that active marketing and also scaling, um, which I do want to kind of transition into because I feel like all of you have mentioned that in some capacity. Um, you know, it's it's one thing when you kind of start your own business and you want to make sure that, of course, you're you're servicing your clients and things, but you also want to make sure that there's a good bit of you in the business in terms of your personality and how you work. At least I would I would think that's the case. You would want to make something if you're working for yourself that you like. So my challenge has kind of always been how much of myself do I inject into my business without it seeming too. I don't know, unprofessional in a way. Uh, that's been something. Yeah, that, that or I've if you have of, if you have employees too, uh, at a certain point it starts to be like, well, is this really a fair representation of the company if <laughs> I'm you know, just one piece of it and not everything? Right. I mean, yeah, well, like, well, like how I strong can, is your brand? You know, right? that's kind of like a really important question to ask, like especially I, for a design shop. Like I can say that I think I'm pretty good at marketing myself, but also it's like, how do I market my? Like I'm terrible. At marketing lunch, and that is is largely because I'm you know doing a podcast, and I'm also you know working on other things, and so even though I am doing work through my studio, it kind of falls on the back burner as you know as it turns to the website and to social media, and how do you keep up an Instagram, and should you have an Instagram, and an active Twitter, and an active Facebook page, and you know like what's the right balance to strike 
between these sort of active, you know, outward social channels and the work that you do, because you don't want it to seem like you're posting on social media all day and not doing work. But you also don't want to work so much that there's no activity on your social media. So it's like, what is that that trade off as it relates to kind of the the active marketing? And, you know, that was actually a big reason why I decided to rebrand and rename my business was because 318 Media, you know, when I started off, I mean, it sounded like a, a kitschy name at first, but then people kept misspelling it because I had an <laughs> unconventional spelling for it. There were other companies in my city that had similar three dash dash names, like 360 mm-hmm. Media, 352 Media, and people were getting us confused. And I wanted something that would stand out, but that would also have a bit of fun to it, you know, and so that's why I came yeah. up with Lunch. But even now with Lunch, I'm thinking, how much do I want to kind of lean into that metaphorically as it relates to the website design and the the brand of the company and the tone of the company in terms of it being a little fun and kitschy and cool? Like, is that the sort of thing that clients will like as it relates to my work? Or will people look at it and think that it's too, you know, puerile? So it's it's I'm always kind of struggling with that with trying to figure out what the balance is i wish i could tell you i'm good at it i'm not (laughs) like i think i'm fairly good at marketing myself and and the work that i'm doing but as it relates to kind of the business eh, not so much i'm i'm still working on it. it's something that that is is still an active thing that i work on and you know again to kind of transition this into scaling because we've all sort of talked about this as you grow and as your your business grows as you reach that vantage point of okay I can't just do this alone. There has there have to be other people that I bring in to help with the work or, or to do other parts of the business. What are the challenges that, that kind of can come with that? I, I've always found those challenges to be more internal than external. Like as you grow and you introduce new personalities to your team, it's I, I, I saw it as like, oh, I'm not just interacting with friends anymore. Like I should be so I should be more aware of my surroundings. Um but I haven't. I, I didn't. I haven't felt it as much as like as the way we portray the company. Maybe just because we're not doing as much um, as some other companies are, because everything seems to be through referral from people we've worked with before. But um, it's challenging, just not in the outward facing way. I've found the scaling thing. Uh, we've had an interesting relationship with that over the past three years. Uh, we never started the company with the goal of making it a big company which uh, I think is a distinction. Some people start a company and they're like, the goal is grow it as much as I can because that means that I'm accomplishing my mission on a bigger scale and it means I'm making more money and it means I'm just doing more and more and more of the thing that I want to do. Our goal was never that. Our goal was to do the thing we wanted to do on a small scale and just to kind of like make good jobs for us and a few people uh, that we found that, you know, would fit in with us nicely and uh, would be kind of good candidates for the jobs. So, we never wanted to scale. At, at our peak, I think we found ourselves uh, at like 10 full-time employees. Uh, and as of today, right now, we are down to six. Um, so we actually have kind of scaled down over the past like two years, which uh, was not an active choice. We didn't like, there was no layoffs. Uh, it was kind of just like uh, some people found new things they wanted to do. And that kind of coincided with uh, less work coming in the door and just kind of like naturally, you know, worked itself out uh, more or less. Um, so we kind of find ourselves almost back at like uh, the place where we started and kind of like uh, having the conversation of like, now we kind of have an opportunity to say like, we learned a lot from, 
you know, having a consulting business that did the kind of consulting work I've described from growing it uh, from like four people to around 10-ish. I say 10-ish because there was part-time people here and there every now and then. So it wasn't ever like, you know, full, full easy to measure number. Um, And then, you know, kind of scaling back down. Now the question is like, is that is what we did over the past, uh, you know, six years exactly what we wanted to do? Is there something we could have done differently and learned from? Uh, and those are some discussions we're going to be having internally because, uh, you know, the scaling thing, uh, I don't think the scale is what got us, right? I think people say that, uh, you know, scaling is when p- p- businesses are at risk because now you've kind of increased your expenses and you're having to increase your income commensurately. And if you don't do that, then the whole thing kind of blow up. Um, that's not really what happened to us. We, our story is different, and uh, I can complain to you about it sometime over a drink if you want, but not now. Um, but uh, but we certainly kind of like the appeal of hiring more people when we had the opportunity to was really just like, hey, we can do this at a bigger scale. We can like have more people have a good job from this, and this is not going to like. It was never getting to the point where it was going to affect you know our day to day, right? It wasn't like we were going to hire twenty people, and no longer would I be a designer. I would just be a manager, and <laughs> I would just be kind of you know, overseeing people and in meetings all day. Um, it was just like, oh, we got to do this at a little bit bigger scale. Um, and so we got to experience that a little bit. Uh, and now we're kind of back down to a smaller scale and uh, are kind of reevaluating whether or not that's a value we have to like grow the company. How about you, John? Because you kind of scaled in a, in a different sort of way by moving into kind of a different sector. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, startups are, are funky. Um, scale is inherent to the, the, the model of running a startup. Yeah. So, uh, at some point you are expected to scale. So it's always been <laughs> a part of, you know, my plan. Um, and, and so the thing about scaling for me, because I, I've, I've worked at companies that scale too fast, you know, I've been, I've been a victim of that. I've, I've witnessed it at other companies like and i've seen it from really far away vantage points you know where i have friends that worked at places that scaled grotesquely um and then you know and then a certain ceo showed up and fired a bunch of people you know like <laughs> thousands of people <laughs> you know it always um, seems like when the p- places have that explosive scaling that it seems uh, to me like you must just basically be starting from scratch like uh, if you go from 30 to like 500 people in six months like you just started a new see, company and like, that's that's the thing is whatever that was there is no longer there it's it's uh I mean, there should always be a reason for for the pace. I think, mm-hmm. um, and I think, uh, like for for me, uh, culture is a really big part of you know the workplace, um, whether it's remote or not. Um, I, I just think like the the internal culture of a company has to scale with the number of people that are involved in it. You know, not just inside but also outside. Uh, the the way that the public views your company, uh, the the sentiment should should match the pace of your scale um and all that and it's a really difficult dance um and not a lot of people are very good at controlling that um and but but i think uh like for me at at my company uh like very early on we had a lot of like internal documents just specifically for like this is what it looks like um to to handle this sort of situation or uh, this is how we present ourselves uh, when we speak to people outside the company um, and, and that sort of stuff uh, like sort of it helps everybody set expectations on what the scale trajectory looks like uh, because without that you, you kind of you, you dump a bunch of people in a room and you don't have time to set uh, expectations because you have mm-hmm. work to do you yeah. know and without without that that very squishy 
human aspect um, aligned, you end up you can end up with a lot of chaos, um, and and like and that's so, totally removed from the money aspect of scaling a company. You know, yeah. totally separate. And and like and when those two things collide, then then you end up with a, a lot a lot of room for making terrible terrible mistakes. And you can ruin people's lives. You know, and like and that's definitely not why I'm starting a business or running a business so that I have the I mean I have the opportunity to ruin lives <laughs> but I but I don't but I don't want to you know I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to capitalize on that uh, opportunity <laughs> you know that's not how I assert my dominance <laughs> Uh, I think we should start moving to the just the final yeah, final word for everybody, gonna... just because we're we're a little bit deep in this, and I'm, I'm glad we got this has been a good conversation. I'm glad it went long; it's no problem at all. Yeah, um, final thoughts, everyone. Where you want to? Well, so kind of end I, off. I, I want to put the, some context in the final thoughts. I'm interested to know. Uh, I think people listening to this show are going to fall into a couple buckets. Uh, one bucket is like I have started my own business, and I'm looking to commiserate on this episode and listen to other people talk about the same things I face. Uh, another bucket is I have never started my own business. I never will. I'm just listening because I'm bored and want to listen to a podcast and uh, maybe I'll hear something interesting. The third bucket is people that might be considering doing this thing for whatever reason, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe they're a uh, young person that can't find a job they want. They might consider starting their own company. Maybe they're kind of disillusioned with their current job. Uh, I'm curious to know like, what piece of advice each of us would have for somebody that uh, might be looking to start their own business uh, given the experiences we, we've each had. Um, so let's, let's end it there, if that's all right with you, Maurice. And uh, who, wants to, who wants to start it off? I think, uh, like, I'm, I'm always very grateful that I made the move that I did. Um, and, and kind of uh, going from something very stable to something unsure, but more control. Um, I also think I'm getting to a point where, like, maybe, maybe the first bit of time seemed like, well, let's figure out how to survive. Okay, now we know how to do that. Now let's do it with some purpose. Um, feels like we're getting a place where we're like we really need to uh, establish exactly what our our joint vision is and and figure out where where we go next now that we know we probably can survive um, or it seems that way. I, I would just say like if if you're if you're considering something like that, um, one thing I, I would have I would note is like if your favorite thing is designing stuff and you want to be left alone all day to design stuff. Um, that's probably not a good choice to start to start a business. Like all the things you've heard in this podcast of like you want to learn how to be a collection agency. Like you're gonna you're probably gonna be a little bit of that. It's not super fun, but like if you want to have full control over stuff, well, guess what? You've got a lot of control over stuff. Um, but if like you feel like you have something, uh, if you feel like you can do it better, if you feel like you have something unique to say, if you like have that vision and want to execute on it, like. I don't, you kind of have to do it. Like there's, it's almost like there's no stopping you, right? Like if it, if you really feel strongly about it, get, go do it. And if it blows up in your face, whatever. But uh, it's it's just gonna eat away. At, it'll eat away if you don't. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if you're gonna start this off, have a plan going into it, and then have a plan to get out of it. Um, for a lot of us, and I, I'm I'm putting my own self in this bucket too. You get into this and you realize, and we we talked about this a little earlier, like. Why do you continue? You get into this, of course, you have all the best reasons in the world to get into it. You want to work for yourself. You want to, you know, have your own clients, have your own say. But then you realize the more and more that you do this, you're taking on more and more responsibilities. There are just other types of fires that tend to crop up and things like that. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to think, well, how do I how do I get out of this? Like, can I go back to a regular job nine to five or something like that, you know? Um, and I think that can be a, a pretty difficult, especially if you've been doing it for a long time and you get into a certain pattern. 
it becomes harder to find the thing that will get you out of it. So I think whether you're considering this or even if you're already into design entrepreneurship, uh, give yourself an exit strategy. I think that's very important. Well, for, for, for those of you who are listening right now to the sign of my voice and you happen to be running your own business as a designer, uh, congratulations. <laughs> You've made it this far and <laughs> bless your little souls. Um, I'm with you. It hurts sometimes. Uh, but you know, don't forget what, like, you know, we're practicing our craft and, and hopefully you love it more than you hate it. Um, for, for, for people that are, um, that are thinking about like, you know, starting any kind of business specifically design focused, uh, um, I think the first group of people I was just addressing will will agree with me. No one tells you that it, 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 like how hard it's going to be, um, and and nobody can really articulate specifically to you how hard it's going to be because every individual is different. Um, and the thing about entrepreneurship is that uh, it's it's it anyone can do it, but certain people are are, are built for it. Um, and and you can definitely make a lot of mistakes or learn from other people's mistakes and become good at it. Um, so if it's your dream to run your own business, you know it's not impossible. Um, anything is possible, but uh, you know it might take a lot longer than you think. Um, it's going to be a lot harder than you think, um, and you're going to have a lot more responsibilities than you that are going to be created that maybe you didn't think you'd ever have to be responsible for. Um, and I think, uh, like from my perspective. Uh, it, it's it's humbling to run a business and have people depend on you making decisions on their behalf so that they can pay their mortgage or send their kids to college mm-hmm. or pay for their car note or put their parents in a nursing home. You know, all that stuff is, is kind of up to you. And if you drop the ball, um, you're going to feel really, really bad about it if it completely explodes. Um, and I, and trust me, those people already they they they've figured out what their exit plan is already. You know, like they're, <laughs> they're they're they they have options. You know, but when you when you're when you're running a business, you're literally you're carrying it um, with you and whoever else is you're you're partnered with. Um, and uh, I think just be respectful of that. Um, first and foremost, and, and the reason why you got into it, and, and just try to have as many conversations about that as often as you feel is healthy. Um, because if you if you lose that that through line, um, then when that monkey wrench comes in, it's going to knock all the it's going to knock that Jenga set over, you know, and, and it's just house of cards. It's all over, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's not a stressful. Uh, it's not a good. It's not a good environment for for anybody to come to work to, either. But um. But on the good side, the upside, you know, if you're you're making money doing what you love, um, and and that's kind of like what capitalism has, you know, prevented a lot of people from doing. <laughs> um, so so you're, if, you're, if you found a way to make that work, instance. yeah, if you found yeah. a way to make that work, uh, you know, even for a short amount of time, you know, embrace it, uh, enjoy it, um, tell other people about it, um, and if you're as excited about it as, you know, they are about what they do, you know, then maybe you can work together and do some business with each other. One of the moments I had after starting this company where I kind of realized like, oh, this is like real, like kind of a kind of a big awakening was the first time one of our employees had a baby. And it was like, oh, that baby. <laughs> that's our baby. We now. kind of feed that baby. <laughs> yeah. Like that's kind of like on us a little bit to make sure that baby has like food and like and like a house and stuff. Yep. Um, and that may be overstating it. Obviously, I think as John said, like those people have their own backup plans. They, they got their life in order. I think there's a line between... Uh, you know, not being too like uh, paternalistic about you know how you 
view your relationship with your employees, but it's it's definitely like a moment where I was like, oh yeah, right, yeah, we 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 give jobs to people, and jobs are like important, and that's like a whole yeah. thing. Yeah, um, say they can have a backup plan, but yeah, but still, like <laughs> yeah, but still. Yeah. Uh, so so the thing that, uh, that I want to reiterate to people is that uh, you know I think I got to mention this. You know, Mike Montero once said many years ago is something that has just. It's been a chip on my shoulder ever since because it made me so mad. And it's still one of the reasons that the guy kind of makes got, me angry. Andy got drafted in the seventh round. And he's still upset about it. Oh, well, he uh, he said once that you should never work for somebody who's under 30, I think was age. Some arbitrary age, which I was younger than at the time, yeah, uh, is what he said. You should never work for somebody under 30, uh, which at the time I was running my own company and had employees and resented the idea. And it was more to that idea, too. He's basically like, everyone under 30 is an idiot. They don't know what they're doing. You shouldn't work for them because you're, they're going to screw everything up and you know, you're going to waste your career working for somebody who's dumb. Um, so uh, Mike. The, the thing I will if you're listening to this, Mike, you're a cool dude and everything, but you say a lot of you say a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, if Mike's listening to this, there's a lot of things to say. But um, <laughs> the uh, the thing that there is there is something in there to take away, which is just that I think a lot of people, especially younger people, underestimate the responsibility that's going to come with starting your own company. And I think that when people think about responsibility, they think about it in a purely practical sense. Like, yeah, 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 responsible. I get it. I'll, I'll run payroll on time and I'll make sure that we have healthcare. Like I can do those things. The responsibility for me has always been a much more emotional thing. Like, yeah, sure. I can do the logistical parts, but the, the emotional wear that comes from having that responsibility is very real and something that I don't think should be underestimated. Uh, I felt like I was prepared for like the logistical challenges of running your own company, but I was not at all prepared for the emotional challenges, which I think <laughs> especially men, for example, do a much worse job communicating about. Uh, I was not prepared for how hard it would be to do those things and to have that responsibility emotionally. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say is just, uh, you know, that responsibility is mostly to like treat anybody who you are working with, especially people who you are their sole employer with like a great deal of respect and uh, understanding and empathy and I think so few people that run companies treat themselves with that same respect and empathy, right? Like, they understand, like, yeah, yeah, I won't work my employees for 60 hours a week, but then they themselves yeah. are, you know, burning the candle at both ends because they feel like they have to. Uh, so you're your own employee when you, when you start your own company and treat yourself with the same empathy and respect and care that you would anybody else who would be working uh, with you. Yeah, I totally, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. Mm. Like, I don't, uh, like, nobody really works for me. I just they work with me, you know, yeah. and like I, I feel like that's a it's a much safer way to approach everything because those hierarchies can can get very strange. Uh, but but if I do have to at an official capacity, like sort of think about you know, okay, you're an employee technically. Um, I'm incredibly it's a privilege to have you be my employee. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm so grateful yeah. that you chose to work f- like for me or with me than than with you know. A, a, a safer bet or uh you know or just or something really simple and easy yeah. you know um because you know you're taking a risk working for you know an entrepreneur that hasn't scaled a business to the point where it's not going to go away yep yeah i always feel like uh i, I somehow tricked these great people into working with for us what uh? When are they gonna discover that? <laughs> when are they, when are they gonna choice? find out that this is all just when smoke and mirrors? It's all me. <laughs> Turns out it's all us. <laughs> Thanks as always to XYZ for the transcripts. You can check them out at xyztype.com. This is our attempt at active marketing. Tell someone about the show actively. Please go to iTunes, read the show, five stars, tell your friends. Mm-hmm.